Welcome to episode 142 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Daniel Hooper, who is in town for WWDC. He is the creator of Principal, a prototyping tool for designers like you. We hung out all weekend, all week, went down to YouTube and tried out VR for the first time. Well, you did. I didn't get to go. Well, me and Daniel. <laughs> And I'm, not, and, and I'm not jealous. And Josh Austin. I'm not jealous. <laughs> yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> I'm not, you, you have a VR lab at your office. I'm not even a little pissed that I wasn't invited. <laughs> calm, calm down, bud. <laughs> uh, we had a great time chatting with Daniel. We talk about prototyping and his background in design, working at Apple, and so much more. But before we get into that, huge thank you to our sponsor for making this episode possible. That sponsor is Dropbox. Dropbox is on a mission to simplify the way people work together on teams. So now they're hiring talented designers to make that possible. They're hiring all sorts of product designers from junior, mid, senior, design managers as well. Design has always been a huge part of Dropbox culture. They've always had amazing teams. They've done amazing work. Everything from like their brand work to their guides has been just utterly incredible. That's really been kind of their key to success. They, they think that's why they beat out other file sharing products. It's simple, just worked. And then people just really sweated the details inside the team. So in 2016, they're working hard to disrupt work products kind of again by bringing things more to the forefront instead of just staying out of the way. So there's going to be some really amazing design challenges there. And they're looking for people to, to join in and help solve those. They work super collaboratively across a bunch of different design functions, whether that's researchers, writers, product designers, illustrators. From the very beginning, from problem definition to shipping, it's super collaborative. So definitely a really cool workflow. And they just moved into this gorgeous new office right down the street from us. So you can come to the city, come hang out with us, work for an amazing company. They have this new like coffee shop downstairs in their new office where they actually roast their own beans. It's crazy. And the roof deck is amazing. So if you want to go solve really challenging problems with some of like the best designers and developers around. If you're interested in doing that, go to spec.fm slash Dropbox. That'll take you to the product designer link and that'll let them know you came from us. So thank you so much to Dropbox for sponsoring the show. Go check them out, spec.fm slash Dropbox. So thank you once again to Dropbox. And with that, let's get into episode 142 with Daniel Hooper. I'm Daniel and I work on principle and everything else. Huh. On principle? Very, principle. very principled designer. Yeah, you got the pun. Yes. You're a designer and an engineer. I try to do both. Yeah, why, it, why are they mutually fun. exclusive? They're not. A design engineer, a designer. and then Yeah, you could just say designer or developer and it could encompass all of it. What do you consider yourself? That's a tough question. It's like design engineer I, now. I, <laughs> I enjoy both. I, at Apple, you know, I was primarily a software engineer and didn't get to do really any design and unhappy about that so i think if i took one without the other i would be unhappy so you're working on principle for anyone who doesn't know what is principle principle is a prototyping tool so you know where sketch you can design the look of your app principle you can design the way your app actually works uh, so anything from the animations to the interactions if sketch designs the look principle designs the feel cool all right how big is your team uh, you just loved asking that question. <laughs> uh, right now, the team's just me. Whoa, <laughs> crazy! I didn't know. So you've been working on this thing by yourself for how long? Ooh. So I launched in August, yeah, 2015, and then before that, it was two years, two years of work. Why a prototyping tool? Well, when I when I left Apple, I didn't know I'd be making a prototyping tool. I honestly kind of spent a month or two 
kind of in the wilderness, so to speak, trying to to figure out like what's the next step for me. I always knew I wanted to start my own project. I just, you know, didn't know what that would be exactly. And so I, I had this notebook where for these two months I wrote down just the craziest product and startup ideas, like super crazy things that I had no business even thinking about, you know. Were uh, you still here at the time? No, I had I had already moved back to Atlanta. Okay. So So that was like first step when you left. Yeah, more or less. Okay. You know, kind of after like wow, just relaxing after after leaving Apple. Got it. And so, you know, somewhere in this crazy list of of ideas and, you know, maybe I could work on this. There was a prototyping tool. I think somewhere I still have that sheet of paper and I just kept coming back to that because it's something that I had seen out in the wild, a problem I had seen out in the wild. Um, and it was seemed like the perfect intersection of kind of my background and my interests. So, you know, being an engineer, I could actually make this. And with my interest in design, I kind of understood the problem well enough to actually make it happen. Um, so, yeah, it, it just seemed kind of like the inevitable decision after comparing it to all the other ideas I had. It's just... I could do it. I loved, you know, the area. And uh, it seemed like there was a lot that could be done there. So how did you start? What did you identify as the, the problems? Well, it's strange to think back now, but when I started this, there were no prototyping tools, really. <laughs> oh, how far we've come. Yeah. <laughs> that was almost now, three years ago? No, I have two. That you started on it? Uh, almost three years that I started on it. Framer may have existed. I think just as Linto the, was around. But like maybe the it wasn't the web commonly version. used. Yeah, it was the web I'm, version at the time. I didn't even know about it. Um, yeah. So when I started out on this, you know, I didn't know what game I was getting into, but I had seen the problem firsthand, just working. So I knew there was something there. I didn't know what it would look like. I didn't know how to solve it, but I just kind of called up the people I knew in Atlanta that were in the tech industry. Um, so people at Turner and a couple startups there and just kind of started from ground zero. I said, how do you work? You know, what are the problems? What are the hangups? And really just kind of started there. It was, I didn't really start with many assumptions, um, except at the time I thought that it'd be cool to have a, a tool on the iPad saying, well, if we're designing mobile interfaces, wouldn't it be cool to design on a mobile device? Because things like tap targets and, and that, you'll naturally make them the right size if you're designing it on the destination device. So I got so far as to have like a working version of a prototyping tool on the iPad. And going back to it now, like it's so bizarre and weird how it worked, but it, it was kind of a stepping stone. But I kept kind of running that by designers and I would watch them use it and listen to what they're saying and learn like, okay, their workflow is already on the desktop. Then I moved it over to a desktop app. You know, I went through that process for two years, just kind of, well, they didn't like this. Let me try this. And uh, it was painful. And like, I hit a really low point where I said, I don't know if there's a solution that I'll be happy with because it's just kind of, you keep trying things. Nothing was sticking with people. And then finally, you know, I made a few key changes and it's like, all right, we have something that, that we can work with now. What were the changes? The biggest thing was just getting the, the mental model right. Cause talk, like, yeah, talk about that. Yeah, because the, uh, you know, the features were there. Like you could prototype with what I had early on, but just it never matched the way that the designers thought about their work. 
And so they would have a really hard time learning it. And they'd, they'd say, oh, this is really cool. And they would love the demo. And then if I left it with them to use it, you know, if I follow up a week later, like, what do you think? And they're like, oh, I didn't, didn't really use it at all. It's like, this is a problem. I need to figure out what's going on. And it wasn't until I got to the point that, you know, what principle is now where you can see every different screen of your app and it automatically animates between them that suddenly that just fit the way they thought about it. And they didn't have to jump through any hoops to think the way the tool was. You know, the tool kind of met them where they were. So right now the the market is has come quite a long ways, right? Like we could sit here and list off Marvel, Flinto, uh, Envision. He struggles Framer, after two. <laughs> Framer, origami. Well, there's a new one like every Pixate. month. Pixate. So what's the world like now for you? Like there's there's competition and, and each of them has their own mm-hmm. opinion mm-hmm. about the best way to prototype apps. Can yeah. you just rank them all for us? I can't. I'll, I'll leave that to the listeners. But yeah, it's, it's a really exciting time for me now because while it does kind of freak me out every time I see a new thing, like, oh, you know, what are, what are they doing? Is, is this the end for me? The, uh, the fact that we're all trying relatively different approaches, you know, we, everything from code to, you know, drag and drop web apps, like the truth is we all don't really know the right way to make a prototyping tool, right? It's kind of an interesting time where we, in our ignorance, are trying out different things and we'll see what sticks and maybe some works and some doesn't. Uh, but it's neat to see the kind of the different approaches. And I'm really happy with what Principal is doing. I'm sure. I would hope so. <laughs> there's a, still a lot to be done in the space, I think. Uh, what? It's by no means done. You ship it one time, it's finished, and you never touch it again. I wish it was that way. Well, no, so what's your opinion? Great. Framer has code. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, origami is noodles and ports and like literally transitioning between zeros and ones. I think it goes even deeper than that because we're kind of defining how interactions should be staged in like an actual design process. We're still defining what designer means. Like we fight about that every other week. It's fucking silly. Mm-hmm. There's so much up in the air. How did you approach building a product for that market? It wasn't something that where I set out kind of with my own opinions I, because it was so driven by just watching how actual people worked and just kind of responding to that. You know, I, I didn't really have a grand vision. I knew how I, I wanted it to feel just in that it was kind of effortless. It was really easy to get ideas out. But I had no idea like what exactly, like what specific person is going to use this or I was just watching like how does real software get designed? You didn't come in with preconceptions on it. I tried not to. I mean, it's impossible not to have some of that. I mean, like the iPad thing, like that was one thing that I turned out to be very wrong about. And, uh, you know, there are other usability things. I was like, uh, you know, this is the right way to do it. And, you know, I turned out to be wrong. Um, but I, I found like the quicker I was at kind of giving up those strongly held beliefs, the the better it turned out to be. Just being really responsive to what you're seeing in the real world rather than kind of your imaginary, like this is how it should be done. Strong opinions weekly held. Exactly. So talk to me a little bit about the product itself. I'm curious. Um, Have you what, used Principle, Brian? I've watched Marshall use it, yeah. <laughs> I'm in an origami world. Mm-hmm. at facebook makes sense yeah so talk to me about the different approaches that you've actually taken and in, in the manifestation of your your prototyping tool tell us all the versions you went through <laughs> how did you iterate to the product yeah 
how did you get to to where you're at now where you see I was all being your screens? Sarcastic. <laughs> well, you said you you worked for 2 years before you launched it. Mm-hmm. And you started with this concept of an iPad. Like how did you evolve from that? Were there any particularly interesting iterations? I mean, the one that stands out in my mind is I had something that essentially was Excel with a preview window. Yes. And uh, each column of this the spreadsheet that you edited was properties for a state. So, you know, you would have layer X, layer Y, layer angle, you know, all the way down. And then each column, you could say, you know, home screen. That was pretty unique. But that was something <laughs> that, that no one else understood besides me. Uh, it's very impressive looking, you know, you have this huge thing and then somehow a UI comes out of this table of numbers. Sounds like a code metaphor. Yeah, it was it was not something that resonated with other people. So <laughs> I, I just scrapped that. But with every different version, I was I was learning, eating away at the edges of what is it that designers are thinking when they're working and you know how do we how do we meet them where they're at because it's kind of a totally new headspace to to go from just thinking static you know pixels to actually adding life to those things so how do you do that in a way that's not completely alienating to their past workflows okay when did you decide it was the right time to ship or why Two years in the making is a long time. Two, yeah. Well, it took that long because it, it never stuck. Yeah. Because I was putting it in front of users so consistently, I knew if I ship now, no one will use it. It was just a sure thing. But why not ship and iterate? Like why? Because I was still learning a lot from okay. watching people use it in person. And ship and iterate works great if people will use it when you <laughs> ship. As long as the first one works. Well, yeah. Did you raise money? I never rose. Rose. Right. <laughs> I never raised. <laughs> I never risen. <laughs> the ship and iterate model works really well when you've raised money. Like that seems to be the focus because it makes investors happy because you shipped something. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't necessarily work outside of that. And you need something that you know people will use because if people open it once and then never use it, they're never going to become familiar enough with it to give you valuable feedback. You'll know people aren't using it, but unless you can go talk to them in person or do some kind of, you know, Q&A that pops up, you're going to have no idea what's happening in the wild. So it worked better for me just to do all of that in person. And I knew that, that no one was going to use it in, in the wild the way that it was. And so it just took t- two years to get to the point that I got traction. As soon as it got to the point that I would give people the alpha or whatever the latest version was and they actually used it for real work. I said, okay, now we're now's the time. So what happened when you launched it? It was so crazy. <laughs> it was, you know, after two years, uh-huh. that was the longest project I ever worked on without shipping. Two years is a long time, especially working on it just by myself. You kind of start to go a little crazy. You say like, yeah. I, left, I left a job at Apple. Yeah. I've spent two years you know, messing around with this idea, you know, maybe, maybe I made a mistake. You know, maybe I should go back to something normal, but, you know, luckily I shipped and, uh, yeah, luckily the, the day that I, I shipped totally outside of my control, it got put on product hunt and kind of likewise, I think a lot of my beta users, companies like Turner and Nest and a few other companies, like they, they kind of latched on to the launch that like, this is what we've been using internally. We were part of the beta and they told all their friends about it. 
And so I kind of wanted a quiet launch so that people would give me, you know, like, hey, here are your bugs and I could fix them in private, so to speak. But so many people kind of latched onto it right at launch. It, it was way more than I ever expected, you know, which is a great problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> so I came across it over Twitter from a tweet from Andy Matushak, who also worked at Apple. Mm-hmm. And he, I think the tweet was, oh, you missed Micah too. And Micah is this kind of off-rumored internal Apple design tool. Was it like an approach to you missed this tool from Apple? Mm-hmm. Or was it just kind of a completely new thing? I actually had never used Micah internally to Apple. Okay. I know a lot of designers in Apple that tried to use it to some extent, but... Um, just being an internal tool is very kind of just thrown together. Like we need this feature, just put it in, you know, however you can, you know, a lot of designers would have a hard time learning it with an Apple. So. So no, not at all. No, not at all. (laughs) Like I, especially having never used it myself, I couldn't really take anything from it, but certainly just from a high level view, I could see why it would look like, you know, they're solving the same types of problems. So you know, comparisons are bound to be made. I want to get back to post-launch in a sec, but I'm actually pretty fascinated in what you mentioned earlier about doubting yourself. Like, am I crazy for spending this much time and this much energy on this thing that's unproven, don't know where it's going? But you did it on principle. But you did it. Like, what what were you thinking every morning when you woke up and you're like, what the, like, it's been, I don't know, a year and a half, maybe. Mm -hmm. What What was the drive? Why? You know, looking back, it's really hard to say why I kept at it because I really did hit some really low points where just nothing was working in terms of like I would I would watch people use it and they just didn't get it. They weren't excited about it when they used it themselves. You know, they love the idea, but just to, to work that long on something and not have it stick is, is so hard. But I guess what kept me going is on some level, I felt like there must be a way to do this. And it was an important enough problem that it seemed worth the heartache to do. <laughs> um, Are you a completionist? You can't leave a problem unsolved? I think to some extent, I'm willing to walk away from things if, if I don't think they matter. But this, this felt really important. I, I think on... On some level, it seemed kind of unfair to designers to say, if you want to express your ideas, you have to learn how to code, which seemed really wrong on some levels because it felt like bullying, saying, if you want to be a good designer, you have to learn to code. And the thing with code is it's just a totally different way of thinking. And I think the value of a designer is that they are really good at thinking visually and being human. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds silly, but... No. If you think of, of programming is you have to talk the language of a computer and, and on some level you have to simulate what a computer does in your head in order to write the code. I don't think designers should be asked to do that because they need to think about how a human's going to approach the product. And as soon as you start programming, you have to start thinking, what are the limitations of the computer? How do I convey this to a computer in a way that it will understand it and it just puts you in the the wrong headspace and i felt like designers should be able to think and work in the medium that they're designing for and that seemed like something worth spending time on so screens right that that kind of the medium i mean it's not necessarily like 
visuals per se, but we have a visual medium. Yeah, I, I guess visual is kind of a loaded thing because some people say, oh, there's visual programming languages. But w- what that really boils down to is it's not text. So when I say visual, I mean they're actually working with the thing they're designing. So if you're designing a login screen, you're actually dragging around a submit button. You're dragging around a header and a text field rather than... It's things you look at. Exactly. You're, you're working with the thing you're making, just mm-hmm. the same way that a sculptor works with rock directly. I didn't want that indirection where you have to work with noodles or code or you know whatever, which eventually turns into your design. It's a whole paradigm shift if you think of it like that, right? Because the people building other prototyping tools are coming from the engineering perspective. Like how do we, how do we pipe in the ability to loop and iterate through data mm-hmm. and do catches and stuff like this? Yeah. And, and there's value for that, certainly. And there's a lot of really complex, crazy things that maybe code is the best or only way to do it. But I think something that's so important in design is addressing the common use case. Because if you can get the common use case that maybe happens 85% of the time, that's going to help a lot of people versus saying, let's get 100% of the use cases and burdening everyone with this really complex approach. So that's, that's kind of been my guiding principle is how can I get that A5% use case really, really good? And you know, down the road, we'll eat away at that last 15%. But the fact is like most people, they just, they need to show how something animates. They need to show a transition. Like that's the common thing. And there, there'll always be the, the people doing the really kind of crazy new experimental things. And, and there are other tools for that, but kind of the, the bread and butter of a designer is kind of the common things. Cool. Okay. Thank you. So then you ended up on product hunt, which is how I heard of principle uh, because the icon was really beautiful and the purple and white. It's really nice. Uh, did you design it? I did. Cool. And then like what, how did things sort of evolve after that? Like you're starting to get attention and people are sharing it around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like all, any release, you know, you kind of, you, you address the the fires that come up, but that initial attention was really overwhelming. Uh, so the month after releasing was so busy for me because I would honestly just wake up at like some morning 6 a.m. just because, I would wake up without an alarm just because I like felt the weight of like all the things I needed to to address because there's so much going on at the time. So I just jump out of bed and start kind of dealing with all the stuff that was happening just kind of naturally from the attention it was getting. And, you know, over time that kind of died down, you know, you fix the initial bugs, you like kind of address the common questions that people have. And uh, after that, it was kind of more okay, there's something here. I got something right. What, what's next? How do we kind of move forward? So what's next? What's next? Doesn't that, have to be features. That counts as the next thing. What do you mean what's next? What's the, the next iteration of, of this company or product or however you want to phrase it? Well, if you're familiar with Sketch, you know, Peter who started that, he was, he was running Sketch by himself for, you know, maybe six years. And I think me and him, I mean, having just met him, I think we share a lot of very similar 
kind of thoughts on, on how to approach product development and, and things in that, you know, I'm at the point I, I could start hiring people. You know, I think in, if I was in Silicon Valley or here, here in San Francisco, the thing is like, oh, you got to get investor money. You got to start hiring like crazy. Let's like really jump on this. And that just hasn't really interested me. It's I, I've seen other companies that grew the company faster than their customers were growing. And then they had to sell because otherwise they'd have to shut it down. And I didn't want to do that. I, I feel like I can make a great product without bringing on investor money. Because as soon as you have other people involved, you have to start balancing the requests of people that are not your customers. And so if my goal is I just really want to make designers' lives easier, I need to only report to them. So investor money is going to get in, in the way of that. And I'm I'm more of a an engineer designer than I am a manager or a entrepreneur. So you know, the day will come when I start hiring people and start building out the team, but that's not something that I want to do. Like just growing just for the sake of growth doesn't excite me. I'll, I'll grow when the product requires it. But right now I'm really enjoying where I'm at. It's, it's fun getting to kind of wear multiple hats and jump around. Cool. So you're near Atlanta? I live in downtown Atlanta. Okay. Why? Why Atlanta? Well, I my family lives there, uh-huh. or at least in Georgia. Yeah, that's a pretty good reason. And I went to school there. Okay. So I have a lot of good friends there. And it's outside the, the bubble of Silicon Valley. Barely. Uh-huh. It like ends right before Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really big bubble. Yeah. I mean, it's it's great to come here and talk shop with, with everybody. And it's so nice to be able to explain to people what you do and have them understand immediately. <laughs> How do you tell your parents what you do? I show them the website and <laughs> watch the tutorial. It's, <laughs> it's more like at, at parties or something, you meet someone and not being Silicon Valley, you know, they don't work in the tech industry. They don't, they're not familiar with programming. And so as soon as I say software design, prototyping, any of those words, you know, people kind of shut down and um, I need to find a better <laughs> party <laughs> answer for people. I don't. I never know what to say. But you know, it's, it's nice to come visit San Francisco, and you you say what you do, and people are tracking with you immediately. Uh, I'm making this sound like a bad thing. I actually really love that about Atlanta. The fact that I have a lot of diverse friends that work in many different industries. So like, we don't get together and talk about work. We are just friends hanging out. You know, here in San Francisco, it's always you know, shop talk technology. And that's really fun for a while, but I kind of got burnt out on it when I lived here. Yeah. Uh, so before that, you studied at Georgia Tech. That's correct. What did you study? I studied computational media. And most most colleges don't have that. I'm shaking my head. I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Uh, sometimes I'll just tell people I double majored in computer science and graphic design. That's the simplest answer. Uh, but that's essentially what computational media is. You, you try to get both the technical and the creative side of things. And so you can do a lot of cool things with the major. Some some of my friends, they, they went to video production, they went to, to games. I just happened to go into software and uh, like human computer interaction type stuff. So it was a fun, it was the perfect degree for me. The fact that you got to balance both the creative and the technical things, which is you know exactly what I feel like my strengths are. 
I feel really fortunate to have gone to Georgia Tech and like have that because I think another school maybe I would have been forced to choose design or software and I would have turned out very differently. Interesting. Do you think that that is uh, something more schools will start to offer? I think that'd be really good. The The concept in our industry of you're either an engineer or a designer, I think is sort of problematic. I agree. Highly agree. And if you go back to kind of when computing was in its early days, I don't think you really had that distinction so much. You know, if if you were someone that was a programmer, because it was so early, you were also the designer. And so you had to understand usability and things like that, you know, insofar as software back then had usability of, you know, a, a terminal application or, you know, something very simple. But I think if you're designing for something, it'd be really great if you understood some of the kind of physical limitations of the medium. But, you know, like I said earlier, there is that balance. Designers need to be focusing on how, how a user is approaching the product and not the other way around thinking, how, how are we going to design this so a computer can do it? It seems to me it's even just the empathy of understanding the challenges each discipline might have mm-hmm. and where they intersect and where mm-hmm. they might diverge. And yeah, right tool for to, the right job. Yeah, being able to understand that seems pretty valuable. Mm-hmm. At what point did Apple come into the picture? Apple was always my goal from... I, I guess high school. Were you a fanboy? Uh, as much as just some high schooler that wants a Mac is a fanboy. Okay, cool. I I remember my uh, I think my freshman year in high school, I knew one guy, one friend that that had a Mac, and there's this one time where I asked him like, so Mac, the the Macintosh company, they make apples or something, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I just, you know, that was the level of uh, misunderstanding I had. And, you know, he laughed and explained. Sort of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I actually saw him yesterday because he works at Apple now. And we're just laughing about that, especially now where we are today. We both worked at Apple together and we were laughing at how far I've come since he <laughs> You've learned since so he much, Daniel. That, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I always wanted a Mac. And uh, then after I started programming more seriously, I was like, okay, I think I'd really like to work at Apple. Because Apple, you know, is the company that's known for for their design and kind of engineering. So seemed like a good fit for me. So all throughout college, that was my goal. I was going to get to Apple and and work there. And so I was able to to intern at Apple. And while I was there, I asked the managers, like, what do you wish more new hires like knew how to do or had experience in? And and then they said unanimously, we wish they had shipped stuff. Because, you know, knowing how to design or knowing how to program is not enough. Like shipping is a totally different skill than just knowing Photoshop or knowing C. So I said, all right. And I, I went back to school at the end of the summer and said, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, finish this game idea. I had this game I'd been working on for a little while. I said, I'm going to finish this. You know, that'll show employers that I can ship things. So I worked, uh, three years on this game, I think. I started this game freshman year, finished it junior year, shipped it. And uh, I was like, all right, you know, I have that. Check. <laughs> I've shipped something and uh, interned at Apple again. I was like, hey, look, I shipped something. I listened to what you told me. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can can you hire me now? And uh, even told my my manager that summer when I was an intern, I was like, can you just hire me away from college? Like, I'm I know I want to work here. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. You were ready to drop out? Yeah. I, Because I had been programming since I was 11. 
And so I just knew so strongly that's what I wanted to do. And I'd done it so long, I felt like I could do it. And, you know, my manager's like, ah, you should you just, just get your degree. You got one more year. <laughs> so I did. And uh, Was that good advice? Uh, I mean, who knows how it would have turned out. Yeah. Like, the thing is now I'm on my own writing software. Like I could have done that if I had dropped out of school, even if no one hired me. I'm I'm thankful for how things played out. It's uh but anyway, you know, I graduated and went back to Apple full time. How much can you say like what what did you get to work on or what problems were, were you thinking about while you're there? Uh the easy question. Yeah. What everyone wants to know. What'd you do at Apple? Uh yeah, I understand you probably have to, have some constraints and if you want to move on that's fine. yeah i mean a lot of the stuff i worked on has shipped so it's it's not that big of a deal now uh i uh so when i was an intern i, I was on the photos and camera team for ios so you know worked on some early versions of what what's now the effects in the photo app so you can edit your photos and then after that i, I moved over and worked on iphoto for ios and and that was exciting because they were trying some kind of new approaches to editing photos, like being able to touch directly on a photo and drag up and down to change the saturation. It was like, mm, this is interesting. No one's really tried this with photos. And after that, I worked on photos for Mac, which was the replacement for iPhoto. Cool. You're smiling. It's a well-known product. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's a smiley boy. I am a smiley boy. You mentioned earlier you kind of had this hunch that you wanted to do something on your own. Mm-hmm. When did that feeling creep in? I think I had that in college. So started really even earlier. Like, even yeah, before well, with I, the video game, yeah. Yeah. I mean launching the the iPhone game. It's called Percepto. You can check it out. Still in the App Store? Still in the App Percepto. Store. Percepto. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. What was the gameplay? Uh it's a it's a puzzle game. Have okay. you seen it? Download it and try it out. Then you'll know. Yeah, it's Well, <laughs> give me a teaser, man. <laughs> it's a it's a it's puzzle called Percepto. game. <laughs> Hassle. And uh, the kind of the basic mechanic is you're in a in a 3D room that can be flattened. So if in 3D there are these two blocks that look far away, you can flatten the room and it makes the blocks right next to each other. And so you can use that to get around the room and get to the doorway to get out. Crazy. Yeah. Are you charging for it? I am. I think it's 99 cents. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Cool. 99 cent game. You're like set. I needed to build principal. <laughs> <laughs> you could have been an indie game dev, man. So, the, but it was in college. Four and a half stars, five hundred twenty-five reviews. Wow, that's uh, that's college Daniel's work. So, I would do a lot of things differently. Nice work, if, college if Daniel. I, if I did, if I did that over again, but it was it was a good experience. Um, like I said, learning how to ship that was good. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so you asked when when did I yeah kind of had the urge or know that I wanted to do my thing. So that that happened kind of in college sometime I knew like someday I think I'd like to do my own thing and I didn't know what that would be or anything but I enjoyed making the game and I thought you know I'll I'll be at Apple for a while I'll learn a lot there and you know maybe after that I'll I'll do my own thing who knows uh-huh. and so I thought I'd be at, at Apple longer but you know I was like well I always thought I'd want to do my own thing now seems like a good time. Can I ask, was was it truly because, of, well, now it's a good time or was Apple not the right place for you? Uh, sort of neither, actually, because I think I realized just living out in, in California, I, I came out here for the job. 
right? I came out here to work at Apple. That was the goal. I, I you know, whatever it takes, I'm going to work at Apple. That's the goal. Mission accomplished. Exactly. And so moving out here was just kind of, well, you know, I have to move to work there, you know, so be it. And I think after kind of the magic of Apple wore off and it was like, okay, you know, I'm here. This, this is really great. Uh, the the fat like well I, I i never really felt at home in california you know there's a lot of amazing things here but it never felt like home and i think that really kind of wore on me and so i decided like i need to move move back home you know it's just it's not worth it to have a job where your whole existence is just to support your work you know i mean maybe you're working on important things and you can deal with that for a little while. But, you know, I would go home and just, I was unhappy. And that wasn't, it wasn't worth it to me as great as Apple was. And so I told them I'm going back to Atlanta, you know, this has been great. See ya. And, um, you know, they're great. They're really supportive. And so I moved back home. I, you know, have the two months of what am I doing? And then principal starts. Gotcha. So you're in town this week now for WWDC. Yep. You make a Mac app. And an iOS app. And an iOS app. And you're not in the app store. You sell it on Gumroad. Yep. Why did you decide to do that? Well, I, I had some really bad experiences with app review on, on my iOS app. Okay. Percepto. And it just feels so limiting to have to, you know, submit. And then, you know, now their their review times are like a day. But back then it was like a week maybe uh-huh. more like i had one review that took two weeks and i said you know if there's something i gotta fix like or it's just so so limiting to have to to put it through that process and the fact that it was a 30 percent cut you know making a pro app where every license is 99 dollars, like 30 percent felt like a lot and also just kind of from a control engineering standpoint like if you had it on the store you had to sandbox it and like there were some features like export for Mac, which exports a Mac app that runs your design that I don't think would ever work if your your app was sandbox. And and there are other things that, that I'm working on that wouldn't work if it was sandbox. And so just knowing that ahead of time, I said, you know, maybe the store's not not the best place. So Apple would argue that if you're in the store you can access different things like certainly the distribution of the app store <laughs> for what that's worth. Yeah. Has the trade-off been worth it to you? Definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, I would love it if, you know, the store worked for me and, you know, cause that's just like one less thing that I have to worry about if, if they just handle all that. But I think right now I have Gumroad that, that does all the payment processing. I think that's the next best thing because they, they handle the payments. They do, they collect value added tax and, you know, they, they send invoices and receipts. Like, so a lot of that is still handled for me and being able to ship, like if I release something and then someone tells me about a bug, same day, I can do another release. You know, I, there's no limit to how often I can release. And that sounds like a small thing, but it really frees you up to, to move quickly, which is something that I really wanted to do. I think shipping often, it's better for my morale because it's fun. I keep putting stuff out there. And I think, you know, customers enjoy it because you're like kind of adds confidence you know the fact that you say okay this is still getting worked on you know two weeks ago i wanted this and now now it's in it yeah i think that's that's kind of fun for everybody it's more of a conversation 
at that point. You see Apple trying to fix a lot of those problems, things like better rates for long-term customers and uh, moving from 30 to 15% cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been working on the review times. After over a year. After, yeah. If your mm-hmm. customer's been with you for over a year, yeah. too little, too late for you. I'm glad that they're making some changes. And I think, you know, given some more time, maybe it'll be something that's, you know, better for professional level indie apps. But, you know, still 15% cut. If if you do a subscription app, which, you know, principal doesn't have like a web component, so it doesn't really make sense to do, you know, you have to pay the subscription or you don't get it. I appreciate the shorter review times on iOS. I've done two updates to the iOS app and they were both approved in less than 24 hours. So that's great. Thank you, Apple, for that. So what is the day-to-day like now? I imagine at this point there's customer support, mm-hmm. but you're also thinking about growing and marketing distribution. I, at this point, I'd sort of have a set schedule. It took a little while to find it. So like take, for example, customer support. For a little while, just because I wanted to respond to people as soon as possible, I would get up, you know, do my morning routine, and then first thing I would do customer support. But I found that that kind of ruined the rest of my day. <laughs> Because yeah. just like starting your day off with, hey, I don't know how to do this, or like, you know, I found this bug or whatever, it just put me in the wrong headspace. So I shifted to, I'm going to just go straight into design or engineering in the morning. And that's been great. <laughs> and then in, in the afternoon, uh, you know, you hit that afternoon lull. That's when you get to the customer support stuff. And uh, so, you know, day to day outside of customer support, it really kind of varies. Like, some days I'll I'll be purely a designer and I'll be drawing in my notebook, I'll be working at Sketch, you know, whatever. And then other days it's just, you know, full on engineering, just solving problems, getting getting code out. So yeah, it's kind of enjoyable being able to switch it up whatever whatever I'm feeling for the day. At this point, how do you inform the next thing to build is it from the those customer support tickets or do you still have like a backlog of intuitive ideas or from talking Mm -hmm. to people earlier a a lot of stuff is driven by customer feedback okay but i think you do have to kind of take it with a grain of salt because every person is coming to you saying their problem is the most important you know and well they're wrong mine is (laughs) yeah exactly so I think as long as you keep that in mind, that goes a long way. Cause like, of course these people are going to feel very strongly like, cause you know, this problem is affecting them or, you know, they really need this new feature, but there are so many other people and other things. And the other thing is like, there, there's things I've been thinking about that, you know, no one's asked for, but I think given the choice, they would want, you know, this, this new thing. Well, so that's my next question. Do you think people know what they want? I think people are very good at knowing what their problems are. I think they're really bad about finding a solution. Because the thing is, you know, our job as designers is to anticipate people's problems. And, you know, our the people that use what we design, like, they have their own lives. They don't have time to think about these things day in and day out. They can tell us what's wrong and, like, what frustrates them, but... They don't have the time, the training, or you know, even the desire sometimes to know what the right solution is. So you, you have to listen to what they say. And if they give you a solution, you have to kind of tease apart what, what's the problem they're actually trying to solve. 
Because usually once you get to the core of that, you say, oh, like, actually, this is the same problem a lot of people have. And there's actually a better way to solve this that's more general than, than what you're suggesting. Is there an example of that that you could share from something that's already shipped? Mm, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to think about it a little bit. Uh, but yes, yeah, so in, in principle, for those of you that don't know, there's one feature called drivers, which lets you keyframe properties of a layer based on some other property of another layer. And it works kind of like a timeline, but instead of time, you're using other layers' properties. This is a really powerful feature that lets you do a lot, from parallax scrolling to Tinder-style cards that rotate as you swipe them off the screen. There's a lot of really interesting use cases for it. You know, w- without drivers, you know, people were saying like, oh, we, we need uh, conditions or we need, I don't even know, all, all sorts of crazy things. Like, I, I want to do parallax. You need to add a parallax effect or, you know, w- whatever their specific use case was. And this took me a long time to figure out, but kind of stepping back and saying like, what's the real thing they're trying to do? They're just trying to change something when something else changes. And, you know, there's lots of ways to, to do that. You can, you can write code to do that. You can, you know, write equations, say like X equals Y or whatever. But luckily designers are familiar with timelines and keyframes. And I said, this is perfect. We can use the timeline idea and apply it to this problem. And, you know, at the time it was, it was almost a last minute thing. I added drivers in the last month and a half before I shipped principal. And it was kind of an answer to some of those, those needs that people had told me about, you know, almost an afterthought now, like it's so surprising to me how many people tell me like drivers are the reason principal is awesome, you know, because it's giving them this vocabulary to do things in a familiar way. Yeah, definitely drivers is something that, you know, no user would have ever asked for that, but it solves their problems way better than anything they could have yeah. anticipated. So building stuff like that on your own, you mentioned that you you did testing, but was were there people you could reach out to for advice? Were there people that gave you feedback that was like extra valuable from a position of experience? In terms of user experience, no. And I actually don't think that type of advice is usually that helpful for any one particular thing. Wait, what do you mean? So, okay. Let's say, you know, I'm, I'm designing something and if, if I had some type of mentor person that could give me advice on UI or user experience or things like that, the thing is they don't understand the problem as well as I do just because I've been talking to people and I'm kind of in it day to day. And so maybe maybe a mentor type person could could give me kind of overarching principles like you shouldn't use modes or you know whatever the advice may be but for any particular project they're not going to be able to kind of they're not down in the trenches with you they haven't been in the problem space so exactly to speak. exactly so honestly i think most people could learn design just by doing a lot of user studies like things like don't use modes and you know whatever you know name your design principle i think any any person with common sense would find that out firsthand if they did user studies and so i get to answer your question in short no i I didn't have any kind of mentor to give me advice there and i i really just tried to let watching my users kind of be the guiding thing because that's real they're actually doing things this way or they actually interpret the design this way 
Were there any types of users that were particularly valuable? Were there any kind of like edge cases, animators or whatever that used it differently than you expected or anything like that? Mm, not particularly, because at the end of the day, we're all human. And sure, you know, maybe an animator understands timelines better than someone that's never animated. But, you know, the way our brains work are all pretty similar from person to person. And it's a bold statement. I mean, at the like at psychology level. level, yeah, oh, okay. yeah, you, you know, okay. like we all have the same basic things, and and sure that that varies. We all have different, you know, backgrounds and preconceptions. But the types of people that were most helpful for me are the ones that were kind of very conscious of what they were doing, because the people that could be using using something and say, "Oh, I thought it would do this," and they could actually verbalize the way they're thinking, because that kind of saved me a step. Because otherwise, I would just watch them mess up, and I'd have to kind of work backwards and say, "Why, why did they do that? What mental model would cause them to think that?" And so, the people that could just speak out loud while they're working were were really helpful. But not everyone is that kind of has the presence of mind to know that about themselves. So they're very helpful. So when I go to work and I come home, the side projects like this and fiddling around on other things is is where I get like my fulfillment from. Uh, I find myself thinking about design all the time and prototyping all the time. And maybe it's just because we just always have these conversations. So I'm wondering, do you just get away from this? Uh, what not, do you do when, you're, when you don't want to work on prototyping tools? That's something that I've been trying to get better at. <laughs> it's, it's hard when you're running your own business, yeah. especially when it's growing and things are going well. Like you want to stay on top of things and you know i i love what i'm doing and so if i'm not careful i'll just work all the time and i'm always thinking about it and uh really just an un unhealthy way to live <laughs> even if you do love it you know i think there's other parts to me than just design and prototyping tools so i'm trying to learn <laughs> yeah how to uh how to kind of step away and i mean uh, I have other hobbies, so I'm like trying to kind of go back to those and say, okay, work day ends at this time. I'm going to not think about it and not stress out about this, do other things. But this it's a hard habit to break. Have you burned out at any point? Yes. It's, I mean, working on a project for two and a half years now. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, it's bound to happen. What did you do? You know, burnout, it's, it's going to happen. And I think especially if you're driven and you like what you're doing, those periods can be really hard because you're not being productive, which kind of compounds the problem because then you're frustrated with yourself. And maybe you even respond by doubling down and saying like, oh, I didn't get much done, so I'm going to work more to try to make up for that. You know, when I've gone through those periods, I've tried to be easy on myself and say like, this is normal, just part of being human. You get burnt out and just roll with it and say, okay, I can see I'm kind of on the edge about this and I need to step away. So maybe I'll take you know a day or two off or just kind of roll with it. And I found that the more relaxed I am with myself about those times, the faster I can move past them. But that was definitely a learned skill. It was not my natural response. It's really good advice, hard to implement, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I can totally relate to the being hard on yourself. I wasn't productive this week. Next week, I'll work twice as hard or I'll work this weekend or I'll stay an hour later at work. And mm -hmm. That was my last like two months at yeah. Sidewire. And none of those are really productive or healthy ways 
it seems to to combat an underlying issue perhaps uh, i'm not yeah i was completely burned out for months on end before i left how are you feeling now great i'm getting a ton done but it's very like limited i played video games all day one day i got work done after that <laughs> <laughs> i've got a lot of stuff still on my plate but man resets are helpful i'm not a vacation person like this is a great vacation for me i think as long as you're kind of aware that everybody goes through those cycles it, it makes it easier it, it often feels like you're alone though right especially if you're working <laughs> if by you yourself literally are if alone. you're literally alone <laughs> yeah definitely and you know since we don't all go through those burnout periods at the same time if you're burnout and then your teammates aren't burnout i think that would be especially hard the comparison is woof. oh yeah yeah but i think if you just acknowledge like this is normal <laughs> this happens to everybody it makes it easier that feels like a pretty good spot um is there anything you want to plug before we go well for those of you that haven't checked it out you can check out principle it's got a free trial 14 days if you don't use it a day it doesn't count so no pressure you can get to it when you when you can that's a cool model yeah I just, you know we're busy i like it get to it when you can so check it out there's some uh, tutorials on the website principleformac.com you can join the facebook community a lot of really great smart helpful designers there and how much uh, does principal.com cost principal.com you have to have looked it up that sounds expensive it, yeah it was taken and it's not for a, sale there's a pragmatic i need a url let's just get one that seems reasonable principal for mac.com principal for mac.com awesome. thanks for taking the time yeah thanks for hanging out thanks for having me that was episode 142 thank you so much to daniel for coming all the way from atlanta and just put, to hang out with us right yeah yeah and putting up with us all weekend literally it had to have been like sunday morning he texted me like five minutes after i woke up and he's like do you want to get coffee sometime this week and i was like how about in five minutes and we just like <laughs> met up really quickly yeah it was super cool great dude and it was so much fun talking about how we build products and and what you can do with them yep let us know what you thought uh we're on twitter at design details fm uh leave us a review on itunes if you've been enjoying the show Every rating helps us move up the charts and helps people just like you find the show. And it means a whole lot to us. We like reading those reviews. Um, so yeah, do that. Before we go, of course, thank you to our sponsor for making this episode possible. And that sponsor is once again, Dropbox. Like I said earlier, they're trying to simplify the way people work together. To do that, they're hiring designers of all skill levels, trying to make a really great team. They work cross collaboratively. It's a great opportunity to work with some of the best people around. They've always been super design driven. It sounds like a wonderful place to learn a lot while getting a ton of support. Go check it out, spec.fm slash Dropbox. Thank you once again to Dropbox. We'll see you on Wednesday with Kari Saarinen.